what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. There are a lot of miracles that have to happen for a life to enter this world, to make it all the way through this process and for the mother to survive that whole process too. A lot of miracles have to happen. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Kishia here. I'm the COO and co-host of the Meet Bridget podcast, and together with my best friend and partner, Asha Gabriel, I help run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. We're back today for another one-on-one episode of the season. As we all know, motherhood has become such a large part of both of our lives. We've got Mother's Day coming up to date. Mother's Day will be on Saturday, but this episode will actually drop just after. But why not honor our experiences and the mothers we love in our lives. So today Asha has two beautiful baby girls, Eden and Nina, and I have a son Jude, all of whom have transformed our worlds and have enriched our lived experiences as women. As a little disclaimer, we will likely be candidly discussing, as we always do, uh, issues including pregnancy, pregnancy loss, and body image. And should any of these issues or things be triggering to you at this time, please feel free to sit out this episode or see our show notes for resources. And additionally, as always, our conversations are sourced from and biased by our own personal experiences. Nothing we say here is prescriptive or conclusive. We always hope that, you know, our conversations and our honesty here can just support that community that we care so much about. So welcome to our Meet Bridget community new listeners and welcome back longtime listeners. We hope you enjoy our conversation today all about motherhood. So, hi, Kishi. <laughs> hi, Ash. Hi, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a this is a big, wide, vast conversation topic. I feel like we, you know, as friends, have gone into every sector of motherhood, from like the down and dirty to the beautiful and transcendent. So, I think maybe where we should get started is by talking about our own moms. Yeah, I think especially in honor of Mother's Day, you know, it's it's funny even having become a mother, when I think of Mother's Day, I always think of my own mom and my mom's mom. You know, it's like it's almost like I celebrate them first. It still feels still feels weird that like we are moms and it's kind of like we're part of that holiday now. Yeah. Is that something you exp- I still like can't believe I'm a mom. Like Is I that- <laughs> I was actually just having this thought earlier today where I was like, I'm a mom. I still kind of feel what? like I'm like playing that. Like it's kind of like a funny yeah. joke that I'm getting away with. <laughs> so <But. laughs> disclaimer, imposter syndrome exists in all roles. <laughs> yes, I know. Love it. Yeah, but I know I, I thought it'd be fun for us to kind of like reflect on, you know, I think your experience of having a mother and how you kind of relate to your mother, it transforms throughout your lives I, I mean throughout, throughout your life so here we go <laughs> <laughs> honestly this is real yeah. motherhood though because it's like a hell of a day a long day right now we only we're getting around to recording after having to delay basically twice no and rescheduling after two days because of the, all the demands of family and work yeah and motherhood so it's it's very real teething kids mini tantrums 
Yeah. Yeah. All, all the, the things. things. <laughs> but yeah, oh, we man. thought we would talk a little bit about, you know, our moms and how we relate to our own moms. And I think that we realize we get older. I almost feel like it aligned with like almost every decade so far where it's like, oh, right around mm-hmm. the decade mark, like things shift a little bit where it's like when we are children, like pure children, like our own, you know, your mom is just like, you don't question anything. I don't like, I don't remember comparing my mom to any other mom for a very long time, you know? And it, even if it was, it was just sort of like a, there was no consequence to it. It was just sort of like my mom is my mom. <laughs> and I think that I, I am very lucky to have had that like experience of that like security, you know, but yeah. it, it was until I definitely grade school before I even like noticed that other people had mothers and that they maybe did things a little bit bit differently than mine. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think, well, firstly, I mean, everyone starts out this life with a mom, but I think we have to acknowledge here that not everybody gets the experience of growing up with their mother. So, I mean, as a kid growing up, that's not even something that would have ever crossed my mind, you know, as an adult now, having been through all of the different experiences we've individually gone through. I mean, you realize that everybody has a different circumstance. And I think we're both very fortunate with the moms that we ended up with. And not to say that they are flawless or without their own struggles or their own adventures, if you will, but just the fact that they are two moms that are here and that have shown up have, you know, that's built a foundation, I think, for both of us. I think I was really lucky in that I had my mom and my mom has like five sisters. <laughs> and so it's like you get the mom and all the bonus mommy figures. My mom is, I guess I'm first generation American. I think that's still correct. My mom emigrated from the Philippines with yeah. her family when she was between eight and nine years old. And so I think that experience of growing up with a mom who wasn't born in the United States is quite different. Yeah. Um, (laughs) we share that experience yeah yeah you know what's funny I feel like entering motherhood I literally feel sometimes like I have entered a new country and like I feel so out of out of my depths and it's just like everything is so new and you're just kind of inventing things as you go which is fun and creative but it's also like whoa where am I and how do I do this but then I think about like our mothers and having you know my mom immigrated here when she was 21 you know, young and like right before all of her, you know, she was in school and doing things and then and then to start a family and motherhood and everything in a new country. I can only imagine, you know, how, how what that was like, yeah, how that must have felt. So a lot of the time when I feel like a little when I feel lost or like I'm doing everything new or for the first time, sometimes I like to remind myself that like literally my mom moved here and she didn't even know the language. Like she mm-hmm. didn't even really know English and she moved here and figured it out. So like, I can figure this out. Can we learn a little bit about John and you really quick? Like, yeah, I didn't even realize that she didn't move to the United States. I think maybe I did know she was in her early 20s. But did Mm -hmm. she move here by herself for school? Or did she move with family? Yes, she she, uh, my mom is one of four. She's the youngest her oldest brother moved here on his own. And he kind of, his plan was like to like set the foundation for everybody to mm-hmm. eventually come over. So my mom was the, I think was the second one to actually come over at that time. Still some of like the stories and stuff are a little murky sometimes, but she came over for college 
And then like everyone kind of trickled over from there. So they have all these like wonderful stories of like, you know, their first years in America and just trying to figure things out and living together. And, you know, my mom going to college and like all this stuff. It was just, um, <laughs> it's so amazing. Like the sacrifices that were made and just the boldness and bravery to come here and like establish a whole new life. It was amazing. Like my so my mom's from India. We didn't make it back to India until our adult years, just a few years ago for the first time. And I always ask my mom, like, why haven't we gone to India, you know, when I was a kid? And she's like, oh, you know, it's just kind of a hard place to, like, you know, go with kids. And, like, I realized that when we went back, I was like, wow, India, I mean, to me, it, it was difficult to go as an adult in some ways mm -hmm. because they always say, like, India is like an assault on the senses. It really is. Like, there's so much to take in there, you know, and the extreme poverty next to extreme wealth and so many people in one place but it's also such a beautiful rich culture so anyways i i had this amazing experience of going back with my mom to the street where she grew up and that was like a real full circle moment for me and for my mom you know like she stood on like the plot of land it was re redeveloped into like a different type of building she was like this was where my house was and she's like, it's so weird that it looks so different now but like the temple that she like used to go to was still there. And this like milk stand that her mom and sister used to work at where it was like on the street. And my mom would tell me about these like stories of her childhood, like playing with like a stick and ball in the street. And like, you know, I think that she came from like very humble beginnings there. And to see mm -hmm. like the life she built here as an eye doctor and the life that she has like enabled for my siblings and I was through a lot of you know, just funk. Honestly, my yeah. mom has funk and passion. And um, I just like the, the more I grow as a mother, the more I really like realize how much she put into what what she built for us. Yeah, that makes total sense to me because knowing your mom, she's I mean, she's very reserved when you first meet her, but she's got such a joy for life and for fun and laughter. And you can really see like just knowing you and your sister and, and also Mikey, but like especially you and Arch, like how how much of that you get from your mom, that zest. <laughs> yeah. And she just she really is like a a hard worker. But she showed me this mm -hmm. example of like how to work hard but also with passion and empathy for people. You know, like she, mm -hmm. she in her career as an eye doctor, like she really cared. She cared about everything that she did and really invested in her, her business and the people that she worked with. And she only just recently retired. So it's just been really, I'm so proud of her, you know, as her daughter now too. And it's cool because like, you know, I think one of the things we wanted to talk about is sort of this like evolution of your, your relationship mm -hmm. with your mom and you go from being like, it's when you're a little kid, it's like what your parents say is sort of like the law, you know, and you don't really have much to compare it to. And then you start comparing it with other moms. And then like, I mean, I definitely had a little period of like just friction with my mom when I was like hitting puberty and stuff. And who knows what it was even about. Like it wasn't a kid that got in like a lot of trouble or anything, but my mom and I we butted heads for a little while for yeah. sure and I look back and I'm like how silly like what did I have to like you know fight with yeah I think there's about? that period of I mean for sure there's there's that time as a teenager where I distinctly remember just trying to 
figure things out. And I guess there's this sense of like, I got to figure this out, you know, on your own. Mm -hmm. It's like the stubbornness. And even though, you know, in retrospect, my mom was right about virtually everything. Yep. Um, <laughs> the idea of relinquishing that, you know, relinquishing what I thought was like the right thing to my mom at the time just seemed like so unheard of. It's wild. It's wild, like stepping into the role of motherhood now and just having that little bit of imposter syndrome because you think our kids are so young. But there is going to come a time where we're going to be like, let me teach you what I know about the world. Yeah. And my kid is going to turn around and be like, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's going to break my heart. A totally. Well, it's funny because I also think that when you're like growing up as a teenager, you're definitely, you hit a point where you're like, you're aware of like this separation of yourself from your parents. I think mm -hmm. you hit an age and you're like, oh, my life is my own, you know? And then you start like taking pride in that and like, my choices are my own choices and everything. Even though that's like the case kind of from the beginning, like you hit a point where you realize that. But I think that becoming a mom has made me so, so aware of the fact that, like, there's another side to that process. Mm -hmm. Like, even, I mean, Keisha and I have been talking about breastfeeding. We're both, you know, on this, like, breastfeeding journey. And I felt like the transition from being pregnant to having your baby out in the world, that was, like, a big transition to me. Because I'm like, oh, I had this this baby that was within me and I could control it. And we were together all the time. And now she's out in the world and like that's one separation and then like you're caring for your baby and they can't walk or do anything so then like that's one level and then you stop eventually you know you're gonna stop nursing or whatever and they're or they're sleeping in their own bed and each one of those things I don't know to me I really had to be like okay like my baby does not belong to me you know I am just like if my baby's an arrow I'm just like a bow and I you know it's going I'm going to eventually have to let it go and like, have it go in a direction, you know, it's mm -hmm. like I can just do my best to like prepare her or whatever. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but like as a mother, you also have to like come to this place where you realize like your children don't belong to you. Like you're there to to take care of them and guide them, you know, and shepherd them in a way. But I felt like that was a big learning. Yeah. Like the Khalil Gibran. I think that's where that um, analogy is yeah. coming from. Huh? Maybe we can yeah, make that our one. Our children, I'll link it. It's one. It's actually my dad used to read it every Passover. We still do. I don't know why I said used to, but mm -hmm. it would like make us all cry because I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, your children are not your children." Well, and at first, I think the first time I read that, I was a little bit like, "Like I worked so hard at this. My pregnancy <laughs> was so hard, and I did all the right things, and I'm like, you know, I care so much, and like, what? Like this is not like mine to be proud of. I'm like." That it's funny when you realize that you can be even more proud of something that doesn't belong to you than you could ever be yeah. proud of anything that you could ever own. It's you know? like the spiritual level has been unlocked. Like yeah. Jude will do things and I'm so impressed by it. And I don't really try to compare him to other kids. For me, I like just want to make sure he hits like his developmental milestones that if he's not like, okay, then we like talk to the doctor and like yeah, figure like, out like different sure things. But one. like, yeah, exactly. But, you know, he's doing things now that are actually quite advanced. And I'm kind of surprised by it because I'm like, well, 
I feel like what we've been doing is we've just been listening to what he wants and what he needs. Like people will be like, how's your baby? Like he's so good. And he is, but he does cry a lot. Like you could probably hear him crying in the background right now. <laughs> but he just like you allow them to like explore and do things. And there's just like this innate wisdom. And so I, there a lot of times I'm like, I didn't really do any of that. Like I feel like he gets it and I'm just, you know, bearing witness and trying to guide him in the best way I can. And I think about like the way that my mom did things and she was always very, um, you know, she had that pragmatism that I think a lot of immigrants have, you know, it's like, okay, there needs to be a logic and there needs to be a plan. And there's like a bit of anxiety about how things are going to go because you really, if you think about it, you give up your whole life to move to a country where you don't speak the language. You don't, I mean, the United States doesn't have really its own custom. It's truly this melting melting pot. pot. And, um, you know, the American dream is something that I think still exists. And so when you're coming from a different place and setting up shop in a new home, you have a lot more at stake and a lot more to lose. And I think, so my mom raised us with that type of mentality, but she also wasn't afraid to let us be creative. It was like, have a plan and be smart, but like, okay, if you want to dance, dance. If you want to sing, sing really loud. Like, mm-hmm. here's the markers, here's crayons. I mean, I did get in trouble for destroying an expensive piece of furniture with like artwork. <laughs> Quote unquote. <laughs> Quote unquote. <laughs> artwork. They were like love letters to Leonardo DiCaprio and Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Real emotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember hiding under my bed. My dad's like scrubbing it. He's like, what is this? Why would you do this? And I was like, I don't know. I'm in love. <laughs> That's totally a besides the point thing. Well, it's also funny. Yeah. It's like in moments of you'll probably experience this war when your um, little man is a toddler. But like in moments of just like pure like confusion, like toddlers will just do things to just like they're just testing you know they're learning yeah, they don't yeah. know they don't know logic like you can't apply logic yeah. to a toddler but it's so funny I struggles I learned so much as a mom because it's like it's also difficult for me to be like okay take a step back where is their brain development like was she yeah. doing this to experiment I'm like maybe the fact that she's like hitting her sister right now is because she like has pent up energy or she's hungry or this, or this. <laughs> you know I have to like kind of not be like why on earth would you do that right now like she she literally like, grabbed my hair the other day. Started yanking, and I was telling her to stop. I'm like, "Stop, Eden, stop! That hurts me." I turned around and I looked at him. I was like, "Why would you do that to me?" And then I was like, "Okay, Asha, like she doesn't even know. She doesn't she's even experimenting. Know. Like she's tired and she's trying to see what the reaction is. And yeah, you know, I think we learn testing again, boundaries. Yeah, it gets us to like back up a little bit and like, okay, how can I expect my child to emotionally regulate?" You know, and yeah. apply logic and listen. If I'm not emotionally regulating, you know, in my reaction to her, if I'm not like taking a deep breath and being like, oh, wow, like what you just did was a little frustrating to me and I need to take a breather over here and then I'm going to come back, yeah. you know, or whatever, like demonstrating examples for her. So I can constantly like, like meet, learning. meet you at a level that you can understand. Yes. Yes. Oh, so man. it's interesting too because I feel like discipline and stuff has changed so much in a good way you know like mm-hmm. each generation does what they are taught what they have yeah. what the resources they have you know tell them but I, I I feel like similarly to you with that immigrant mentality like my parents were very much like 
that you mm-hmm. have to pick a path, you know, and like grades in school are non-negotiable. You know, you there is no reason why you can't be the best at this and we will help mm-hmm. you to the point that you will be, you know, like if you need extra focus to work on your schoolwork, like we'll help you with that. Like if you, whatever it is, like my parents made sure that we, we prioritize like academics and stuff, mm-hmm. but then, you know, also supported, they're like, oh, you want to go? do this dance class you want to go to this thing my friends are just like go go like go do go do the stuff so I liked that combination of yes I think that people immigrant parents get that like what do they call it like tiger mom you know mm-hmm. kind of bad rap sometimes where it's like oh your parents are like so strict and everything I'm like yeah strict but like I think when you understand their experience coming here and everything it kind of like there's context for it Yeah. I also really appreciate and I don't think like there were plenty of things about my childhood growing up that were, I I would say, dysfunctional. But I mean, when I think about so for our listeners that listen to our individual interviews back in season one, like my mom's second husband adopted me when I was five years old. And so for a little while in my life, it was just my mom and I, I mean, I had my grandparents and cousins and aunts and everything, but my mom was a single mom for a little bit. And I distinctly remember her being my North star and, you know, seeking comfort in her and, you know, she's my mom. But when I think about it in retrospect as an adult, I think it's really, you know, you have to give such credit to moms, all moms. But I I really think there's like a special award that should go to mothers who are doing it on their own. And like we work and we have kids and it's challenging and we have great stable partners. So, I mean, my mom was really incredible. She worked full time. She figured it out. Like I never, like looking back, I don't ever feel like I was abandoned or not, you know, my mom wasn't around or anything like that. So whatever she did, she like set up a good base layer Mm -hmm. as a single mom, regardless of the challenges. And um, there's balance. There's balance. And I, I really like appreciate a lot of the things that she did, you know, she had me in dance classes. She made sure that I went to play dates. Like I was in school. I was reading at a really young age, which I don't know how my mom pulled that off. Like I know I was an early reader and like she, you have to work to teach your kids these things. Yeah. Well, so it's, it it's interesting. I feel like that kind of stuff too, though. Like we were talking about earlier, you're like, yes, it's like you nurture a child. Mm-hmm brain and like I, I think it is such a great approach that you're talking about where you're just like let's just see where he's kind of guiding us and then like help him there I think that that's such a healthy way of parenting because that I feel like with kids it, it truly is it's like they are so their own little people and they just I, I think that I had that was a learning for me at first I was like there's so much information out there for us now like I you know when I talk to my mom and uh, my mother-in-law, they're like, oh my gosh, you guys have so much gear and so many resources and so many things as moms that we didn't have, which is such a blessing in so many ways, like these mm-hmm. portable pumps and stuff, like literally oh life-changing, God. you know, but I think with the just plethora of informative sources on the internet and just things that, you know, people telling you how the best way is to do something and all the research you could access, 
it can also be super, super overwhelming where it's like, oh my gosh, the unsolicited advice. Yeah. And it's like, am I not doing anything right? And what happens if I do it wrong and my kid hits a milestone and I didn't do this and I didn't do this. And if I don't do all these things and my kid isn't going to have this stuff. And I, I remember, you know, with Eden, I was so worried about, she was kind of just like a more quiet kid for a long time. And I was like, oh, do we need to take her to like a speech pathologist? Is her hearing messed up? Is it this? I was so, so concerned. And then in her own time, she just like literally when it was really around the time when like Nina got here, she just had this like language explosion and like English and Spanish and she's talking and now like she's so insightful and, you know, that I, you would never guess that there was any kind of delay. And it's just like for me, it was such a lesson in like, let go, like let go and let your mm-hmm. child blossom because she is her own thing. And I, I think that, you know, going along with like that that teenage time that we were talking about where it's like you start to assert your independence and you're like I am separate from you guys and it's my life and like you know I'm gonna do what I want to whatever extent that you can you know Mm -hmm. but I think from that point until like honestly for me it was like until I became a mom I really thought that like if I'm going to be proud of things it's gonna be because like I made them it's gonna be my Mm -hmm. accomplishment and my choices and my life and now it's like this this awakening, really, where it's like, wow, the things that I'm most proud of are things that, like, honestly, in the end, I have very little control over, you know? Yeah. I feel like I've absorbed a lot. My, I mean, my sister jokes about this all the time, but she'll be like, oh, my God, you sound just like mom. You're turning into mom. Yes. And, like, a lot of the time I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm st- I'm still young and cool, right? And then yeah. I, like, think about it and I'm like, well, so is my mom. And she's a she's a great example of, you know, somebody that has always had a sense of adventure and creativity. And she just has a really like my mom is a tourist to the T. She just gets shit done. Like there's nothing stopping her when she has something in her mind. You know, I I have to hand it to her because I think that I'm pretty tenacious. And then I think about my mom and like the lengths that she's gone through in her life, like moving countries several times, like going to school in Japan. I mean, the whole thing. I'm like, I don't, it's brave. It's, she's been very, very brave. Yeah. And so I appreciate now the things that I have, the qualities that I have that are, are similar to her. You know, when my husband or my sister says something like that, I'm like, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And you take it like as a such like the best she also snorts when she laughs that's amazing (laughs) that's so endearing (laughs) that little snort that I had that's also genetic (laughs) I love it well it is it is it also reminds you like what a deep impact that you can have on your own children that it's like Mm -hmm. the ways that I realize that I am like my mom are really things that she never sat down and taught me you know it was just the way that she was you know and I'll catch myself doing things with my kids like I I was oh what was I doing oh I was washing Eden's face she had avocado all over her face and I like so much so that I had to like take her to the sink and like hold her over the sink Mm -hmm, and just like take mm -hmm. water with my hand and like kind of like not waterboarder but like kind of wash her wash her face with my hand gently and I had this like visceral like sense memory of my mom doing that with me and like just the feel of her hand and the water, just like cleaning my face and how good it felt. And it's funny because I've noticed like both my babies love when I wash their faces. Yes. Right? They still prefer it to being like wiped with a napkin or yeah. something. 
and they just both smile and they just love it, even though their faces are covered in water. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my mom, I remember the feel of my my mom's hands doing this kind of thing oh to me. Oh my God. I do the same thing with Jude. I give him sink baths. And yeah. since he was an infant, he used to hate getting wiped down with a washcloth. Yeah. And I thought he just didn't want to be cleaned. And then I started just doing it by hand. So I like hold him in the sink and like wash his little body with my hands. And I still do it to this day. He's, you know, going on eight months this week, but he like, he loves it and he loves the water. And I think my mom used to do the same thing and my grandma used to do, my mom's mom used to do the same thing for all of us as kids. In the Philippines, they have this thing called the tabo, which is um, anyone who's like ever listened to Joe Coy will like know what I'm talking about now. But basically like every OG Filipino household will have like a cup or saucer or something. It's usually like a cup from like 7-Eleven or mm-hmm. like <laughs> or like an old butter container. And like we just use those with like warm water and like you tub the your like private parts. Like after you use the bathroom, it's like a thing that all Filipino households do. And as a kid, <laughs> I remember like my grandma would be downstairs cooking and I like viscerally remember being like two, three years old using the potty and being like, not I, I'm done. Like screaming downstairs and she'd drop everything she was doing and come upstairs and take the tub out with warm water. And like, I just sit there and she'd yeah. like, pour warm yeah. water down my back into the toilet. And yeah. I like, and like now it's a, a cleanliness thing. You know, you just, I don't know. I like do the same thing for my kid and yeah. probably will do it for all my kids. And Well, and it's funny those little like, I think for me, there's a lot, a lot of it is touch, you know, and like yeah. the way, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I even, no one really taught me how to like hold my babies, you know, or to how to comfort them and what to do to calm them. And you just kind of like evolve this, this ability to like, like you just know like what, what to mm-hmm. do to kind of like calm your baby and you develop different things. And it, it's weirdly, it's like, now it's different things for each baby that I realize like, oh, yeah. she likes this thing and she likes this thing. But some of those things that, yeah, they passed off even from, like, my my grandmother. I'm, like, I remember my grandmother, like, when we were sick, like, she'd put, like, Vicks on our chest. Yeah. And I, I did that with Eden when she had this cold. And it's just, like, I love those, like, little generational things that just get passed feeling, down. Just feeling, just yeah. thinking about your mom or your grandma rubbing that on your chest. It's, like, the most uh, core memory. Yeah. Unlocked. But, like, and nothing can... can I still remember like the feeling, even when my grandma was like the oldest, like I remember mm-hmm. the feel of her hands, you know, as my grandma and like the way that they looked. And I always thought they were just like so beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. and wise, just like looking at her hands and holding her hand. And it's, I, I just think it's such a cool thing to just see the effect of your own hands on, on your children. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. kind of, that was kind I... of tangent, but like, I really, I think it's, <laughs> it was an example of like how, you know, the impact that we can leave on our, on our children. It's yeah. not, it's not always like, oh, well, I sat down and I did crafts with them and then I did this and I did that. And then I made their lunch into like little bunny rabbits and like, you know, like those are all really great things. But like, you know, I think that the, the ways that the lasting ways that our parents, you know, can impact us are beyond words sometimes. It'll be really interesting to see what our kids pick up from us because, you know, there are plenty of things that I want to impart on my son, but I have a feeling he's going to create his own catalog of favorite memories or things that, you know, 
totally. mean something to him. Totally. It's kind of wild. I can't, It's like one of those things where I feel like there's a lot of pressure on you, but like also it is what it is. Like he's, he's going to choose what... Yeah, Whatever well, I almost wants. find like when I feel like I'm I'm the best mom I can be, it's in moments when I'm able to like let go of any of like mm-hmm. the consequences because I think you can get down the rabbit hole of like, oh my god, like what if like he heard me, you know, or she heard me like get upset in that moment or this or that, and like what is oh no, I like accidentally like, I yelled at her because she threw this thing on the ground or she hit this or whatever it is, and I yelled, I like I finally snapped and I yelled, I'm like maybe that will be it or like her core, you know, memory of me being afraid of me. <laughs> and then you can just get like so hyper aware of what you're doing as a parent. And it makes yeah. you very, um, it actually makes me worse. <laughs> it makes me more yeah. likely to snap because I'm just like so, you know, focused on myself. But I think that when I feel like I'm being the best parent, it's just that I'm just present with my kids. I'm like, what are you mm-hmm. showing me right now? You know, like, where are we going? And, and let's just be together. That's kind of letting go of some of that control, really. But I think that we've talked about this, too. I think from the moment you get pregnant, too, especially, you know, both of us have had journeys with, you know, like we were talking about in our last episode, um, our co-episode on body image. You know, I think that in our journeys with our bodies, like our bodies are really sometimes can feel like the one thing that we really have some level of control over. You know, it's like I can do these things that make me feel good or that don't make me good, feel good. But to some extent, I have some control mm-hmm. over my own faculties. I mean, again, like aging and stuff that can sometimes change. But but with pregnancy, I think both of us discussed that like you get pregnant and then that sense of like control really goes out the window. I oh, mean, yeah. Not all women, I guess, have that feeling some people are just like yeah and then pregnancy happened and it was like the best version of me and I loved it and I love those women and I envy them but I think that for a lot of women it's like oh man like this overwhelming tiredness or nausea Mm -hmm. or this or that and it's like it's to an extent it's like you can't control it you can't it's just like that little baby is you're just along for the ride in a lot of ways I feel like pre-pregnancy into pregnancy I mean try the whole thing, your body is just hijacked. And even like the good times, I feel there's an element of an out of body experience to it where, I mean, you can't, you can't help how it's going to go. I mean, firstly, like I am an anxious person at base, you know, like I, I overthink and have like a plan A, B, C, and D, you know, And I've learned, you know, throughout time and with practice how to relinquish some of that and how to be not necessarily go with the flow, but to learn how to let things roll off of me and to have peace with different outcomes. But with pregnancy, it was really a challenge because you, especially with the first pregnancy or the first pregnancy that goes well, you have no basis of like good or bad or right or wrong, you know, you're experiencing it for the first time. It's literally an otherworldly state. Like it's hard to describe and thinking about being pregnant with Jude like less than a year ago is, is so it's bizarre in a good way in that it's like, wow, I did that. My body did that. You know, I, and whether or not you trust it to do it or not, like 
you take care of yourself the best that you can. Like I exercised, I ate good foods, like I listened to my doctor, I did my own research, but still there's like, you know, you can't control anything. Like I learned with my first and second and third pregnancies, like you can't really control how everything's going to go. And it might, you know, it should end up great. Sometimes it doesn't. And that can be very, very scary, like relinquishing that. Yeah. I'd love if you feel comfortable. I know you and I have talked about wanting to share some of your experience with getting pregnant and pregnancy loss. I'd love to kind of like walk through that with you if you feel comfortable. Yeah, of course. Thank you for asking. I think, I don't think that people get to talk about this enough and people don't get to hear it enough, but um, for some of our longtime listeners, my husband and I got pregnant back in 2021, like at the start of the year, and it wasn't planned, but we had just always, I mean, my husband and I had been together for long enough that we thought, you know, if we were to get pregnant, if things were to happen, it would be okay. We'd be happy with that. And then it happens and it's such a shock and you're not expecting it. And for me, for a long time in my adult life, I wasn't so sure that I wanted or needed to be a mom. I, I am a really loving and nurturing person naturally, and I really go all in for my family. But I think because I have such a full family life and I'm the oldest of four kids, you know, by a long shot, I don't, I didn't really get the sense at that time that I like ever was like hungering to be a mom right away. But when I got pregnant, for me, my whole perspective really shifted. And I thought, wow, this could be like the start of something. This could be like the next level for me where I get to unlock everything I have experienced or will experience and impart it on somebody that will live longer than me and will, you know, continue this legacy of living, you know, in whatever way that looks. And so, unfortunately, we made it almost the second trimester and we found out that our pregnancy wasn't viable and I had to um, deliver a baby that was no longer a baby. And it, it was a very difficult experience and it was something that I had to come to a spiritual reckoning with. I don't know, you know, in the argument of like when life begins, like I'm not going to interject my stance on that, but the experience of losing a pregnancy, especially the first one where you're so, for me, when it happened, I felt so naive. I was like, God, how could I have been so happy? And then you lose this pregnancy that you are fully under the assumption the entire time you're pregnant that it's going to go exactly how a pregnancy should go. You are pregnant for nine months or nine, nine months and some change and you, um, go into labor and then you have your baby and you get to bring a living baby home. And the only part of that, that I was already sort of jaded by was that we lost my niece at full term just the year before, which was heinous and it still is. But from that experience, you know, you learn that that type of loss exists. And then losing my own pregnancy, you lose like the hopes and dreams that you start to develop during that time. Because it really is sort of like you open this doorway of being able to have an imagination about what life is going to look like with another person in your world and in your ether. And 
it was a really beautiful, perfect time for me. And I, you know, as devastating as it was losing that pregnancy, that those, you know, initial months were, were really, um, beautiful. And so, and then, you know, I had subsequent miscarriages and during that time I was also undergoing a workup. I was eventually diagnosed with something called ankylosing spondylitis, which is a disease in the autoimmune arthritis family. And so it was like this really weird time for me in life where like, I've always been active. You always have these assumptions of how life is going to go and that your body's strong and you can do hard things and all of that. And then I felt like my body had failed me for no reason. I was like, I did everything right. I exercise, I eat well, you know, I'm a good person, I think, or I try to be. But with all those things, you can still lose a baby. You can still have your body develop this like thing that, you know, you're genetically predisposed to. You know, we worked really hard. My husband and I, we did everything right. We did all like the pregnancy planning, the peeing on ovulation sticks, the timing, the, you know, having sex, like when you're supposed to have sex, which is basically like, it's crazy. Like you're basically doing it for two weeks. Then you're like, you know, then for the next two weeks, you're trying to figure out if what you did worked. And then when it, when you find out that it doesn't, then you're like back on the right. So it's like this constant roller coaster of like trying You know, we got really lucky in that a year to the day of me finding out I was pregnant the first time, I found out I was pregnant the set, the, no, not the second time, the fourth time. So there was that element of like, is this it? Is this going to happen? But you get really excited no matter what, because it's just like a potential opportunity. And I was sick with COVID and the difference with the, like trying the pregnancy test this time, which was a little different from the previous couple of times, was that when I, you know, did my pregnancy test, it was like really, it's like, girl, you're pregnant. It's dark. <laughs> and so then I did, then I did like 13 more and it was like, no, no, seriously, you really are pregnant. <laughs> and then cut to now, my son is eight months this week and it was really hard. I talked to a couple friends that are currently pregnant that have experienced pregnancy loss. And when you lose your first pregnancy and you, you have subsequent miscarriages for, for anyone, it's incredibly devastating. But I think there's a, there's also this element when it's your first baby of just not really knowing where due north is. It's kind of like I was telling somebody the other day, it's kind of like you're walking through a forest and you're just kind of like hoping you're going the right way. And everyone's like, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's the path. But you like have no concept of what it looks like each step of the way until you like get there until you get to your destination. It was wild. I remember even At the moment of like the doctor putting my baby on my chest, me looking at him and being like, this is real. Like I get to take him home. He's real. Just wild. (laughs) Well, I mean, as always, I always thank you for like sharing. I know it's like I can only imagine because I haven't experienced miscarriage, but I can only imagine and have so much compassion for that experience because it it's. I mean, I think it's such a, a unique and incomparable sense of loss, especially with your first pregnancy, you know, to have that excitement. And and I honestly, I wonder sometimes if it is a product of media and kind of like what the stories we've been told about pregnancy 
and motherhood where it's like we don't have any education about and I don't know we're not I'm not an educator but I've always kind of wondered I'm like miscarriage is a thing that happens to a lot of women you know and I and I almost wonder I'm like I don't think anything can make it easier that maybe a sense of like just some knowledge around it and lack of stigma and clarification about like no this isn't something that you did wrong Mm -hmm. you know like just some just some freedom with knowledge about about miscarriage among women I always wonder if like that could lighten the load a little bit you know for women that have to go through miscarriage and pregnancy loss or infant loss you know which happens Mm -hmm. too I'm curious I mean in your experience of miscarriage what would you say was the most helpful reaction or response from people and what was maybe not as productive? So this is actually a fairly easy question to answer. I think with miscarriage, it falls into that category of grieving and people who just in general are unfamiliar or uncomfortable around loss or grief have a really hard time knowing the right things to say, which is very fair. And losing a baby, losing a pregnancy, if you can't relate to it, sometimes it's, you know, I I get that it could be difficult to try to understand the right things to say. The wrong things to say are like, oh, this is meant, this was meant to be, this is how it should have happened, you know, God always has a plan, things like that, things to try to like put a band-aid over justifying why it was okay that it happened, those are never the right reactions. I also would hear sometimes like, cause I had multiple miscarriages, like after the second one, um, somebody was like, well, maybe you just wait next time until you're like four or five months pregnant. And then like you tell people, because then if you lose it again, then you don't have to like tell people. And I remember saying at that point, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to take that advice because if I don't share with my family what I'm going through. And when I say family, I also mean close friends. Like if I don't share with my support system what I'm going through and how much this means to me, then when and if tragedy does happen, I'm going to feel so much more alone. You know, being able to talk openly to the people around me that I loved and trusted, that was very, very meaningful. The friends and family that had the ability to just give you space quiet space, you know, just listen and like hold you or stand with you in your grief. That does so much more than many, many words (laughs) and a lot of different words that people could say. And I will say I'm the type of person where somebody reaches out, even if it's in a way that I feel is like slightly off-putting or offensive. I tend to think of what the intention behind it is. And so in the case of the person that was like, oh, maybe don't tell anyone. I did say, like, I verbalized exactly what I just said to you. Like, no, I, I need to be able to speak to my community. But I personally didn't ever, I wasn't offended right. by it just because you, you know, I at least felt like, okay, I understand you're trying to be supportive in, in the way that you know how. But definitely, like, just acknowledging the loss, you know, like my niece, um, Juniper, we talk about her every day, like 
you know, she's a part of our lives because that's the reality of it. Like when you lose a child or when you lose a pregnancy, like erasing it or not talking about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But when you're able to speak about it and be open about these experiences or like the loved ones you lost it, like gives it a way to carry the torch forward and to not minimize the loss and to honor, you know, the experience and the love you have for, for that life. Yeah. I think sometimes with like these levels of loss and grieving, I think it's similar when you, you lose any loved one, it makes people uncomfortable. And I think like the, the more tragic the loss, which like the loss of a child is, in the unique category of tragedy, it's unfathomable loss. I think that people get so uncomfortable that they feel this urge to like fix it or Mm -hmm. like it's, and it's from an intent of like wanting to help. So either they come in and like, it's like, oh, but like, and they go through the toolbox and it like each thing is not working. And the more you do that, it's like the the worse it gets, you know, where it's just like, yeah, no, this sucks. I can only imagine how much you're hurting you must miss that hope, that child, your dreams of that child. You must miss them all yeah. the time. And that really sucks and that really hurts. And I'm here with you and it hurts me to think of you hurting that way. You know? That is like way more meaningful than 90% of the things that people accidentally say. Yeah. And for sure, for sure, it's better than trying to prescribe meaning to it via, like, you, you know, and I know yeah. it comes from a place of meaning well, but, like, when somebody says it was God's plan, then it, like, really makes the person feel like, okay, well, then, did am I a bad person? Yeah, like, did why I did God have this? this plan for me? Did I, yeah, I had did to I learn this? Wrong? Yeah. Right, right. And it's, and that's really not anyone's place to say, and it's, it doesn't feel nice, and it's just, yeah. Don't do that. Listeners. Yeah. Just, just don't. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we're also having this conversation because I, I think that sometimes when you haven't experienced something tragic and you're trying to approach how to do it, you can get so in your head of like, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing to the extent mm-hmm. that you don't say anything at all. And I mm-hmm. think that's why there is a lot of isolation and stigma, you know, about some of these really tough things to experience. There is stigma around it, but I think that some of that stigma is perpetuated by people having fear of not knowing what to do around it. And I think instead, if we can have platforms like this where we can like, okay, let's talk about the reality of this. You know, let's talk about the community of people that are experiencing this. You know, it is an isolated experience. It's something that's very internal, especially pregnancy loss, literally in your own body, you know. Mm -hmm. But here are the things that when when you have a loved one that's going through this, or if you've gone through through this yourself, like here are the things that you can, you know, the helpful things to say or how to be, or just to, you know, be in community with someone going through something. So then we have those tools. It's like, okay, you don't have to, out of fear of saying the wrong thing, that doesn't mean you need to just like leave them alone, you know, which sometimes is a, that might be what someone wants. Like, mm-hmm. Thank you for your concern. I, I just would like to process this one, which is also totally, you know, someone yeah. prerogative. But I think that it's it's also kind of tied to, you know, you get pregnant and I had a great doctor, my second pregnancy, very pragmatic, you know, but he kind of matter of fact, he was like, oh, um, one in three pregnancies, you know, is miscarried. Real matter of fact. And then what that was a little jarring to me, you know, I'm like, that might mm-hmm. be 
reassuring in the sense that it's like, wow, this is a very common thing. Like, can, I, can you imagine how many women have gone through it? One in three, any woman that has three kids, you could wonder, like, you know, because people think of like miscarriage and they think of like infertility. They don't mm-hmm. think of how many people like, you know, might have kids, but then also went through several miscarriages or had a miscarriage between mm-hmm. kids or, you know, that, that it's a it's a very it's a thing that a lot of women experience, you mm-hmm. know, in all different ways. But anyway, so he said that and he was like, yeah, so like, you know, don't tell anyone until, you know, maybe like 12 weeks or whatever. Yeah. He's like, yeah, just, just don't get don't get too excited. <laughs> and I'm like, bless you, because I know the intent was there. But then I right. think at the same time, I kind of I had to think about like, OK, well, would it be better for me to not get excited and not share my excitement about this life, you know, inside me? Mm-hmm. if it ends not as planned it does it make it better if I didn't share the excitement about it and and part of me yeah. also is like whether that life lasted you know one week inside me or the entire pregnancy it was still life and like mm-hmm. you know my excitement however long it lasts I think is is something I owe to that life you know and I think life at, at any stage is something worth worth being excited about i i've always thought this like oh keep it secret until this point just does such a it's so it's detrimental i think yeah, yeah but i think it does such a disservice to to motherhood you know on the topic yeah. of motherhood here i'm like it's part of the whole experience that it's like yes you know there are a lot of miracles that have to happen for a life to enter this world to make yeah. it all the way through this process and for the mother to survive that whole process too a lot of miracles have to happen but each one, every step of the way is that it is a miracle and we can celebrate it and be in community about it rather than just being like, oh, like, don't, don't like get your hopes up until this point. Yeah, I think that's the first part of the problem, you know, with the stigmatization is that and I'm going to get on a micro soapbox here, but like we just don't have a robust education built around, you know, life sciences like let's just call it that or women's reproduction or reproduction in general you know the amount of steps that it takes it's not just like the conjugal act like there are microscopic steps that go into this entire process and it's like it's literally like shooting a bullseye in order for it to happen Mm -hmm. but like a bullseye through like a super mario underworld land where like it has to go through like the hoops of fire and everything and up the fallopian tubes and the whole thing and the timing has to be right and it really is like having a baby really is a miracle and you don't really realize that until you're struggling with infertility you're struggling with getting pregnant or you know holding on to healthy pregnancies because you you recognize at that time that it's like, you know, you have this 28 to 30 day cycle and you have to do things at this point and then you wait a few days and this is when like the egg should be implanting. It's a wild process that I think if more people were robustly educated on it, like then there wouldn't be as much um, shame around feeling like your body's failing you if it doesn't happen right away or if it doesn't happen the first time, the second time, or the first couple of years. I think that's like step one. It really is, it's a gauntlet that you kind of have to go through. And I think some of that comes from our 
education around, you know, sex as it relates to pregnancy. You know, I think that the intention of, you know, scaring us away from like unprotected sex, you know, is around like, oh, you, you can get pregnant, which is true. Like you can get pregnant on the first time. And, you know, this is true. Mm -hmm. It happens to people. But I feel like we are taught that like, oh, like you like sneeze and get pregnant. Like you will get pregnant. Like yeah. it just it just happens. Like whenever you have an maybe, unprotected sex. Maybe at 15. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, and then I just I distinctly remember that feeling of like, you know, people are like, oh, are you guys going to start crying? And I was like, hey. I was like, OK, like uh, try. And then and then you start thinking like, OK, then we'll like this month, like we'll start trying and then we'll get pregnant. And, you know, and then you learn there's a whole like science to it. And like, oh, like I honestly didn't even know about ovulation until I was trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Like I'd heard the word, but I, I didn't really know what ovulation meant until I was literally trying to get pregnant. But it's it's kind of wild. Like you don't really track like your yeah. own patterns. It's kind of no. like for, for a lot of people, you're kind of like, oh, I know generally when I get my period. And but like there was never a time where I was like... <laughs> Right about now, I'm ovulating. Yeah, like, like I can tell. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't do that right now because I'm ovulating. And like, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly think that, I mean, there's some cool technologies and stuff out there and like, or even just guidance where it's like you can, there's things that you can kind of track to understand where you are in your menstrual cycle. And I think that like we are hitting, you know, on a hopeful note, I, I do think that we are in a time when it's becoming a little bit more embraced to like understand women's cycles I think for so long it's just been this like dark hidden cloud where like I distinctly remember as a teenager like buying tampons in CVS was like the most embarrassing thing ever you know like <laughs> literally no eye contact with the checkout person and like throw in some nail polish and like other like some other things that will like hide it and you know that it was so, it was so shameful I'm like why yeah. like Oh, our teenagers 50% not... of the population goes through this and and menstruation <laughs> is is a building block to the arrival you know potential yeah for children and procreation i'm like it's if anything should be like celebrated like i, I mean I, I don't think that it's a symbol of here. health it's yeah, a symbol yeah. of of health and femininity and you know it's it's just a it's a part of life uh um, yes. that is undeniable <laughs> so Le- i just bleeding think your that, own like, blood <laughs> totally it's okay uh, and i just kind of i hope for my own daughters I'm like I don't want them to be like the weirdos or anything but I'm just like when we get close to puberty it's like yes it's really uncomfortable to talk about because then you start talking about puberty and then you start talking about sex and like any, any parent is going to be a little bit like yeah okay like now they're going to know how they got here and all this stuff so it's uncomfortable but I also I'm <laughs> like my hope is that like you know, I don't want my daughters to ever have shame around their periods right you know there's no right. room for shame around puberty and all of this stuff because mm-hmm. it's just like what what is to be shameful about this like I think that there's just been this cloud around women like puberty and all these other things and even just like women's sexuality period like there's just been this cloud of like shame and you know keeping things you know in the bedroom like yeah. and just tied up and, and mysterious they keep it mysterious and it's just like come on already like yeah. There's a way to keep our children safe and healthy and discourage unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think instead of saying, like, oh, don't have sex unprotected, 
because you could get pregnant. It's like, no, like maybe we talk a little bit more about like maybe don't have sex with someone who you don't feel like could potentially be a father of your child. If you don't feel that level of like intimacy mm-hmm. and safety with someone, maybe you probably shouldn't be sharing your body with them or like, or, okay, if you do have a baby, this is what's involved with it. This is what mm-hmm. pregnancy is really like, you know, and like this is these this is kind of like what it looks like for a woman. And this is, you know, really like yeah. educating about about conception and pregnancy and parenthood and all these things earlier on rather than just being like sex equals baby equals bad, yeah. you know, and it's just like it's so confusing for young people. We got to treat it the same way that society's historically treated it for men. I mean, when I think about how I'd like to raise my son, one thing that's really impressed, I know this is about motherhood, but as a mother, one thing I really find impressive that I, I didn't know my dad did this until a couple months ago, really. <laughs> but my mom was telling me that when my brothers were of age, my dad had this talk with them. And it wasn't like they were splitting hairs, like dad talks to the boys about sex and mom talks to the girls. But he was having a candid conversation with my brothers and he told them that, you know, if a girl is not interested in having sex with you, if she says no, if she doesn't seem like she's into it, if she's pushing you away, like you don't need to ask a second time. You have your answer. You don't need to convince her. You don't need to ask again. And I was like, way to go dad because I didn't even it never even crossed my mind that like he would have had that conversation with my brothers but now as a mom raising a young man in a world where as a woman I felt like I was in a lot of compromised situations and it took a lot to find the person I felt safe with you know or maybe I don't want to make it sound like it was like a gauntlet out there. I mean, you I don't want like no, I'm I'm not by no means am I saying all men are scary or anything like that. So I want to just make that really clear. But like when you do find the right partner, you recognize the qualities that you know, you want to see in that partner. And for me, a big part of that was like how is he around family? How is he around kids? Like if one day I want to have children, could I see him being the father of my kids? You know, not that every, like you said, not that every sexual encounter needs to equal baby. Like girls should be free to, you know, have their own sense of sexuality and not be ashamed of their periods and not also not have to talk about it ever. Mm -hmm. Like it should just be a free part of the experience of being human. But I, you know, as a mom to a little boy now, I'm like really excited for that point in time where he'll probably look at me and be like, mom, why are we talking about this? This is disgusting. But to be like, no, like, you know, (laughs) you don't have to ask twice. Like, this is what it means to be safe. This, This is what it means to be a good person to like, you know, enter into a consensual relationship to like, you know be an upstanding citizen. So it's exciting being able to be a part of a change in the one singular small way I can be. Totally. You know? And even like, I think when we're like, you know, it's uncomfortable, yes. But then I, I feel like, I'm like, oh, what would my reaction to that be? I would almost want to be like, it's not disgusting, actually. You know, like there mm-hmm. is a really beautiful place for it in our lives and can be it can be a really safe, 
wonderful, loving thing, you know, and it can lead to wonderful miracles like you arriving in the world. And that's just like, you know, I, I think that it'll be as we were talking about earlier. I'm like, as a mom, like you just, you know, you see your kid learning and developing at so many stages that I feel like that it just doesn't end. And honestly, I feel like it, it is amplified, you know, as, mm-hmm. once you, you have your own kids, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm just like way back in a different kind of school, just like trying to keep up oh, with yeah. the course load <laughs> because it's coming at me hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wild. When you say the thing too about like your kids constantly watching you, I was talking to my therapist several months ago and I remember being in a space where I was like really nervous about what I was doing. And I was also trying to be like very available for, you know, my parents and my siblings because historically I've always been there for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think I was getting to a point where I was starting to feel a little stretched thin. And I remember her talking to me and she was like, this is the part where generational trauma and habits come into play because your son, as little as he is, is always looking at you. And I don't know, like, if you remember any point in your childhood where you're looking at an adult, but the adult's attention is somewhere else. And she was like, so you have to think about that. Like, think about like picking and choosing your battles because at the end of the day now your immediate family is your son and your son is looking to you and absorbing everything and you know all children feel loved out of the womb until they feel abandoned and I was like wow this is a really intense session but (laughs) it really stuck with me because I was like geez he is watching like he is absorbing everything and if I am putting my attention so deeply into other things, like, because I'm trying to fix them because I think that's my role, that I'm not completing my role as his mom and as, yeah. as his North Star, as, as my mom did when I was little. And with that, we are going to take a brief interlude. And please join us again next week for the second half of our conversation on motherhood. Just like our two-part episode on body image, we, there's just so much to discuss when we talk about motherhood. Um, and in celebration of Mother's Day recently, we really wanted to get into this topic. So um, we've loved having you along the ride for this part of the conversation. Please join us again for next week's episode on Wednesday. We're going to talk a little bit about that balance of motherhood, um, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or working mom or also managing being a daughter and part of you know your original family. Um, some of those the balance of just trying to be a mom but also be a lot of other things at the same time and then we also will go a little bit into our experiences of pregnancy and birth so join us next week see you soon and that's our show if you liked what you heard today please like subscribe to follow and share meet bridget with your circle the best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?